The hour to which the podcast adjourned having arrived, the podcast is now in order. Let's gavel in for this week's State House Takeout with the reporters on top of Beacon Hill at the State House News Service. Here's Sam Doran. Well, here we are the day after Halloween with our sugar rush hangovers or whatever you get the day after Halloween. Boo. Boo. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, speaking of Halloween, Halloween up here on Beacon Hill was, uh, well, we we were thinking about perhaps the ghost of uh, Ed Reform Conference Committee's past or something like that, uh, because it was the spooky date of Halloween. Sam, that's a Christmas reference. <laughs> that is a Christmas. Get your holidays mixed up. Oh, man. <laughs> I forgot there's ghosts on Christmas, too. Well, hopefully we won't still be talking about Ed Reform Conference Committees when it gets to be Christmas, so he's got to get it in now. Well, see, that's a very good point, Katie, um, because it was the uh, spooky day to Halloween, October 31st, that the House and Senate conferees on working out the details between the two branches' versions of the education funding reform bill um, met. They had their first meeting, kick off their private talks. And uh, Katie, just quickly before we get into some of the other topics we have for this week's podcast, including... Uh, the vape ban and and uh, menthol tobacco products and supplemental budgets and all that good stuff. Um, before we get into that, uh, what are the chances of uh, finishing this education funding reform bill uh, and getting it to the governor before the holiday break uh, on the 20th? Mm, well, I don't know about before the holiday break, but it certainly seemed like a lot of optimism was present in that room yesterday. Like Sam mentioned, the the ghost of last session's uh, conference committee that only had a week to settle bills that were pretty far apart. When when that conference committee kicked off, people were talking about what a what a weighty task there was before them and how much work they had to do. And this week, when the negotiators sat down on on the the bills that the House and Senate passed, everyone was talking about how confident they were that they'd get it done, they'd get it pretty quickly, they were in the home stretch, and both of the chairs referred to the differences between the bills as modest. So, could happen, we could see it before the Thanksgiving break. All right. So, I guess guess you could say it's far from dead as a doornail. Is is that a Christmas Carol quote? It sure is. Yeah, Yeah, it is. All right. Well, as we look ahead toward Christmas, and indeed Christmas Eve, um, Matt, uh, update us on the vape ban, which is now set to expire. (laughs) Yes, right? Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. The vape ban, which is now set to expire on, as we have been talking about Christmas Eve. It is set to expire on Christmas Eve. Uh, The governor, uh, if you remember, I I think we've talked about this, but the governor did file those emergency regs. He actually put them on file with Secretary Galvin's office on Monday. Uh, And it shortened his ban to three months instead of four months. So it will expire on Christmas Eve. Uh, Judge Wilkins, who required the administration to file this as an emergency reg, ruled again this week uh, denying plaintiff's claim uh, to try and invalidate the emergency regulations. Uh, So the ban is fully in place. And uh, we're actually expecting uh, today uh, additional filings from the administration, including a small business impact statement to really lay out the impact on small businesses, as well as uh, setting a public hearing date for November 22nd, which would be the uh, Friday before Thanksgiving. 
Gotcha. And a lot of the tobacco talk or nicotine talk this week, uh, Colin, revolved around menthol. And that is one of the outstanding questions right now in the debate over flavored products and what to do about vaping. And uh, we heard from uh, proponents of banning menthol, including that in in flavor ban. We heard from convenience store owners. Um, The folks that we haven't heard so much from are um, the legislative leaders and the governor who were kind of quiet or reserved about what they think at this point about menthol. Yeah, menthol this week kind of uh, became a new front in the discussion over vaping and smoking. We've talked a lot about the legislation that uh, Senator John Keenan and Rep. Danielle Gregoire filed to ban uh, flavored um, uh, flavored tobacco products, which uh, a big emphasis of that is the flavored uh, vape juices, the fruity uh, uh, Katie showed us this week there are even cereal f- milk flavored uh, vape pods and whatnot. <laughs> Who knew? So a lot of that. Which I found from a Google search wondering if such a thing existed, not because I am an enthusiastic uh, <laughs> Fruit Loop cereal milk flavored vapor. Uh-huh. If you uh, Google it, it exists. There's all sorts of rankings out there. Uh, but the, the focus, for the most part, has been on uh, banning those those other uh, flavors, in the specifically the vape flavors. But this week, menthols came up um, because the federal government banned flavored traditional regular paper cigarettes, combustible cigarettes, back in 2009. Uh, but they exempted mint and menthol. So now the question is, uh, should Massachusetts take that extra step and um, when dealing with those vape juice flavors, uh, should it also deal with mentholated cigarettes? So what did we hear from legislative leaders and the governor on uh, Monday when we asked them about this? Yeah, the governor, Senate president, and Speaker of the House were all asked whether they think the, uh, menthol should be considered a flavor or not. Uh, and we didn't really get any straight answers from uh, any of the three. Senate President Karen Spilka simply said that uh, the Senate and its committees were reviewing the legislation and would have conversations with others about it. Take a strong look at strong it. Strong look, yeah. right. Uh, Speaker DeLeo uh, referred to candy-type flavors and uh, rightfully noted that most of the discussion has been around these candy-type flavors. Uh, and Governor Baker specifically uh, referenced bubblegum, strawberry, and raspberry as three flavors that he thinks need to be out of the mix. Those are already out of the mix for combustibles, uh, not for vape products. Uh, but the question was about menthol and whether combustible menthol cigarettes should be considered a flavored product. And the speaker also briefly alluded to a racial component to the menthol discussion. Yeah, he, he just raised the point that uh, there is a, a sort of racial element at play here. Uh, mentholated cigarettes are popular within the African-American community, uh, and part of that is that the tobacco companies have aggressively marketed towards that community for uh, a number of years. So according to the CDC, a majority of African-Americans who smoke, smoke menthols. Uh, They pegged it at roughly 77% uh, compared to 35% uh, of Hispanic smokers and 25% of Caucasian smokers. One of the things that I I recently heard talking to um, the the folks at Tobacco Free Mass about menthol is that they, you know, they're among the groups that see this as key to going in the ban because it is, isn't just a flavor, although that's how they're f- describing it here, is that, you know, kind of like a cough drop, there's the 
effect on your and there is a cough drop in front of me as we're recording which is what prompted my memory of this <laughs> it's actually colin's cough drop sorry to call you out but um just don't ban mentholated cough drops <laughs> <laughs> in that same kind of cough drop way it numbs your your breathing passages your throat and right. it can make you know what can be a harsh experience for first time or newer smokers much more um pleasant and easier to deal with and encourage you to kind of keep going there so that's another reason people are concerned about it and just to to add to that also so not only uh is the argument that menthol makes it easier to start smoking cigarettes uh it's also said that menthol makes it harder to quit smoking cigarettes so uh easier to get started harder to stop Hmm. all right well we'll wait to see where the legislature lands on on that question colin um Matt, one thing that you covered this week was uh, a little huddle down in the speaker's office with some members of his leadership team as they continue to have some backroom talks about uh, transportation funding options and uh, where those revenues might come from and that sort of thing. Uh, And this is stuff they've been talking about since over the summer. Uh, Are we still looking toward some kind of a package being introduced before the holiday break? Yeah, we are, Sam. It's actually, uh, you're right that it's it's looking harder and harder that they would get this done, but uh, Leader Mariano, uh, Ways and Means Chairman Aaron Michaelwitz, and uh, Chairman uh, Bill Strauss of the Transportation Committee and Mark Cusack of the Revenue Committee all huddled with the Speaker on Monday. Uh, the Speaker canceled his usual m- Monday morning meeting with his full leadership team just to meet with this group to kind of gauge where they are uh, with respect to this transportation revenue package. And uh, they emerged from that meeting. They said no decisions had been made yet, but for the first time they started uh, penciling in some numbers uh, next to some of the different strategies they may look to, including the gas tax to raise money for transportation. Jeremy Cusack actually making it pretty clear that he, uh, or that this group is looking to uh, take money from the transportation sector and keep it for transportation. So that would give you some idea of maybe some of the uh, you know avenues they're exploring to get revenue. And uh, Mariano and Strauss both making clear that uh, putting a bill on the House floor before November 20th is still their goal. Well, we heard from a lot of other folks this week about their revenue ideas as well, folks from the business community uh, and folks from, uh, let's say, Raise Up Massachusetts about their ideas for taxes on the business community. Yeah, if you go back and, and remember back to the speaker's annual chamber uh, speech to the Greater Boston Chamber of Commerce uh, in, in the spring, uh, late winter time frame, he kind of challenged the business community uh, in the lead up to this transportation revenue debate to come up with a set of proposals that employers would be willing to back, sort of trying to uh, pre pre-negotiate this with the business community so that when they do put revenue and taxes on the floor, uh, they won't get uh, hit in the face by employers who uh, would be uh, in opposition to this. So, uh, you know, Colin uh, covered extensively uh, the business uh, community reaction, and then you had groups like Raise Up Coalition saying, whoa, 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 if you're going to do things like the gas tax, uh, we also think you should be looking at raising corporate taxes uh, and, and doing some other things like requiring corporations to disclose their full tax burden publicly so that we know who's paying and who's not and preventing companies from sheltering some of their proceeds. And we don't know that legislative leaders really have an appetite to do that. But, uh, you know, I'll I'll defer to Colin on some of the details. Yeah, that uh, corporate tax uh, hike 
idea doesn't really sound like it would be in keeping with what Chairman Cusack had told you about transportation revenue from transportation for transportation. Um, but some of the ideas that the business community kicked around would uh, fall into that uh, or would fall under that uh, theme. So the gas taxes won. There was a majority of the organizations that were part of this Massachusetts Business Coalition for Transportation uh, that said they would support some gas tax increase, generally between 5 and 25 cents, with most of them falling between the 5 and 15 cent range uh, for an increase. And the other thing that there's majority support for among those uh, coalition member organizations was uh, increasing the fees that are built into the price you pay whenever you take an Uber or a Lyft somewhere. Um, and by increasing those fees, you would be uh, taking money in from people who are maybe putting only one person, one passenger in a car. Um, there are, we hear endless complaints about these TNC drivers, you know, sort of the deadhead trips where right. you know there's, there's no one but the driver in them. And what that does both for the environment and for congestion on the roads. Yeah, exactly. So if you make it more expensive to take these, uh, hopefully people will make the economic decision that, well, maybe it's going to be better for me to take the bus because it's going to be cheaper. And then you're uh, hopefully effectively uh, reducing congestion on the roads, limiting uh, greenhouse gas emissions, and on and on. So now that the speaker has heard back from the business community with their ideas, uh, how, how much consensus was there among all the different uh, business groups? Uh, how much were they all on the same page? Where were some of the divisions there? Well, when it came to specifics, there wasn't much you know, real uh, organized consensus. What the coalition effectively came back with was uh, a list of ideas, and they then said, you know, here's an idea that uh, all, almost all of us can agree on. All but one organization, uh, one of 28 organizations that were part of that group, agreed that the state does need new revenue for transportation. Uh, and then their ideas went on down the line, you know, uh, just a majority, so maybe 60% of the organization uh, said it could, of the coalition rather, said it could support a gas tax increase. There was what they called strong majority support for the concept of the governor's uh, regional uh, TCI, the, the Transportation Climate Initiative. Uh, and then there were other things where uh, some organizations supported them, others outright opposed, heard directly from the Greater Boston uh, Chamber uh, that they want this idea of a one-year task force to look at uh, basically how we could do statewide tolling in Massachusetts, put gantries up around the state and uh, do it in a flexible way that would allow you to do either statewide tolling, congestion pricing, demand pricing, et cetera. And that'll be a task force of private citizens, right? That's the chamber's idea, yeah. yeah. Uh, Matt? Colin brings up an interesting issue, though, in that uh, the Transportation Climate Initiative is something that's already happening. The administration is negotiating this with uh, you know, more than a dozen states up and down the East Coast. Uh, and this would, in effect, raise the price of gas uh, while uh, working to drive down, uh, hopefully drive down emissions from the transportation and, and vehicle sector and generate potentially hundreds of millions of dollars for Massachusetts to invest in clean energy and clean transportation programs. Now, what you saw from the business community was some of these groups, including groups like Associated Industries of Massachusetts and the retailers, saying, you're going to be getting money from the TCI. It's going to be raising the price of gas, so we don't want to see anything else done to the gas tax. That's a, a, a price increase enough on the cost of fuel for drivers. 
But, uh, you know, we also heard from uh, Chairman Strauss, who again pointed out that he does not see how you put together an additional revenue package without touching the gas tax, which is fairly low if you look uh, nationally at what other states uh, charge. But that's going to be a, 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 a needle that the, the House is going to have to thread in the coming weeks. And to Matt's point about some in the business community saying, you know, look, you're going to do this TCI, that's going to increase the price of gas. Don't raise the ga- the actual gas tax itself in addition to that. Um, when I talked to Jim Rooney from the Greater Boston Chamber last week, he pointed out that, sure, some people feel that way, but TCI revenues aren't even, TCI isn't going to even start, and you're not going to see those revenues until 2022, 2023. So the chamber supports a 15 cent increase in the gas tax phased in over three years. And they look at that as sort of a, a bridge. You know, how can we start bringing in new revenue almost immediately to address some of the more immediate needs? Hmm. We also got a little look this week at what some of the folks on the Senate side have been talking about. They've got a Senate revenue working group that's on kind of a a longer term timeline coming up with ideas for the next legislature to to deal with, perhaps. Um, What did they have to say this week, Matt? Yeah, this is a less immediate exercise that the Senate is undertaking. I mean, I think and we, we heard from Senator Hines how they're watching and they know that this uh, transportation revenue specific debate is happening in the House and it's going to fall uh, in their lap, in the Senate's lap soon if the House is successful in passing a bill. But they've put together this working group that is really studying a broad array of tax policy in Massachusetts and trying to figure out ways to update it, uh, make it more modern, make sure it works in the modern economy. Uh, They are approaching it uh, with an eye, at least to the extent possible, of keeping their recommendations revenue neutral. So uh, where they may be looking to raise taxes or do things like broaden the sales tax so that you start uh, taxing things like music downloads, uh, which are uh, you can't apply the sales tax to, but you used to when people would go to uh, buy a CD or a, a cassette. If I'm not uh, dating myself too much, but um, maybe. Yeah. So if you're expanding the sales tax base in that way, they may look to offset it, uh, make sure that it's not a regressive tax, and maybe either lower lower the overall rate or lower the rate of a, a something else, uh, maybe the income tax. But just to make sure that the impact is not disproportionately falling on a low income and moderate income families as they try to uh, make sure that the state's tax code is keeping up with uh, the way commerce works today. All right. Well, all of those potential future revenues aside, um, as far as spending the revenues from fiscal 2019, um, that fiscal year, the last fiscal year, ended at the end of June. And Comptroller Andrew Mailer, as we talked about on last week's takeout, uh, was really hoping to uh, get that final closeout supplemental budget done before October 31st so he could meet his filing deadlines and, and really wrap up all the paperwork from, from last fiscal year. Uh, that didn't happen, Katie, and we're heading into this, uh, this Halloween weekend uh, without, uh, without the bow tied on fiscal 2019. Um, what's going on here? There's kind of a procedural issue without getting too much in the weeds, um, there's kind of a staring contest going on right now between the House and the, and the Senate. 
I feel like this is a trick for me as opposed to a treat is to discuss this without getting too much into the weeds. Ah. Come on, Katie. You were dying to discuss statutory basis financial reports when we were coming down here. I am. I've been <laughs> I've been looking forward to this all week or, you know, maybe thinking perhaps I wouldn't have to be talking about it on a Friday afternoon because perhaps the legislature would have gotten it done. Mm. But that didn't happen. And instead, we are on track to have what's now going to be the latest um, fiscal year closeout budget since at least 1995, which is at fiscal 1995, which is as long as my list from a former comptroller Tom Shack goes back. And we have that list here in the news service because this is kind of a perennial issue the last few years. Mm-hmm. In, in 2015, 2017, those budgets were enacted on November 2nd. So the late budget in and of itself maybe isn't as as big a story as it you know as the comptrollers would like it to be but it it is a little unusual this year in that there is kind of this procedural snag as you mentioned Sam the the senate instead of just amending the house bill with a a new text uh, reported it out of their ways and means committee in part leaving creating a new bill essentially and that that new bill would need a another vote in the House or the Senate would have to take another vote, perhaps on the original House bill that's still in committee. But one way or another, it's a, a question of how the two branches and the lawmakers in each branch have told us they're talking, they're trying to figure out how to best reconcile it. But it's a question they need to resolve of not only what the action will be, what policies, what spending and saving amounts will go into each budget, but what vehicle they'll use. So it adds another wrinkle for the, the Ways and Means chairs to reconcile. Sure. And if it were to come up for another vote, as, as you mentioned, one of the possibilities, another vote in the House, um, when it came up the first time in the House, there was some inner conflict there, which, which we talked about on a, a prior episode here. So um, it's possible that House leaders might not be too anxious to bring it back down to the floor again. Yeah, and then there's, you know, the concept of the the Senate might want to hold on to the the bill they've kept in committee. They they say that gives them flexibility um, should other other issues arise during the year. To your point, Sam, though, they're they're not anxious to put that bill back on the floor. And actually, earlier this week, uh, Rep. Mike Connolly of Cambridge wrote a letter to Speaker DeLeo, and uh, you mentioned the, this past controversy, but it all sort of centered around what's being seen as a $37 million corporate tax break that was included in the House bill. It's not in the Senate bill. Mike Connolly s- urged the Speaker in his letter to drop this in negotiations with the Senate and just keep it out of the final bill. But when I talked to Connolly, uh, knowing that this sort of uh, back and forth was happening between the Senate and this bill could actually have to come back up for another vote in the House, Connolly said he might uh, be willing to put together an amendment and try and re-debate this issue. And that is something that House leaders do not want to do. Now that we're into November, is it weird to still have so much uncertainty around this? I mean, do we even know for sure that it's going toward a conference committee? Folks were even a little a little squishy on that. Yeah, we, we heard some kind of mixed responses yesterday when we were trying to trying to pin down lawmakers on where this SUP budget stands um, or, or what's up with the SUP. SUP. Exactly. Um, but, you know, some some of them spoke pretty confidently that like, oh, yeah, it'll go to conference. Some said we still need to figure that out. And some, uh, specifically Senator Jason Lewis, said that not only are the House and Senate right now 
discussing the sort of processy stuff holding this up, but they're also discussing the substance of the bills. They're discussing the differences they have between the two versions. So it's it's unclear, you know, who's doing those negotiations, how far are they going? Are they trying to uh, reconcile the differences without a conference committee? You know, others said, no, uh, this probably will go to a conference. So that's all yet to be seen. And they're not, they're not insignificant differences between the two bills. Um, I don't, I don't know if you'd call them modest, like people are talking about in the education bill. There's a, what, a $50 million plus difference in the bottom lines, if my math is not too shaky. Um, There's... The, the corporate tax um, interest deduction language. There's, I think, early voting for the presidential primary is a question. Mm-hmm. So there's a, a lot to work out there once they work out how to work it out. And we should say, too, that no, no one's really concerned about the comptroller missing his deadline. <laughs> um, if we heard one thing from both sides all week, it was that they, they weren't too concerned that the comptroller wouldn't meet his deadline for the statutory basis financial report. But the comptroller did remind people that the state is actually losing money every day that this thing doesn't get filed. So while, you know, the, the his ability to actually file this and satisfy auditors and that may be a bit sort of boring to the legislators, even themselves, uh, he said that for every day past November 1st that he does not file this report, the state's losing out on about thirty thousand dollars a day in interest that the state should be accruing in its rainy day account from a a pretty sizable deposit of probably in the neighborhood of 400 million that's uh, on its way once this bill gets finalized i don't even have thirty thousand dollars in principle (laughs) (laughs) but when you're talking about what a 40 something billion dollar budget it's a little bit easier to those numbers get big enough. Yeah, I mean, this is, we are talking about an account that has about $3.2 billion uh, in it when, when this is uh, all said and done. So, um, yeah, I look forward to the day when my uh, Bank of America savings account has a B at the end of it. <laughs> 30000 is fine by me. I'll take the 30000 <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks, folks. Thanks for this uh, weekly roundtable, and we'll see you back here next Friday. Yeah, don't forget to turn your clocks back. Turn them back. We fall back. It's astounding. Time is fleeting. Madness takes its toll. But listen closely. Not for very much longer. I've got to keep control. Statehouse Takeout is a production of the Statehouse News Service. And for a daily fix of Statehouse headlines, visit masterlist.com. Masterlist with two S's. Thanks again for listening. See you next week.